would you bow your heads and pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, be that which would glorify you and in this time and in this place. Amen. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to take some students on a mission trip to Vancouver, British Columbia. And it was an inner-city mission trip through YouthWorks, and uh, we had about 12 students that came along with us. And we went to this area in Vancouver. It's about a four-block area where uh, there seems to be a lot of, of homeless people that gather in that area. There's a lot of drug use that, that takes place right out in the open. The police up there just kind of uh, surround that area, and everything is okay as long as you're in that four-block area. And a lot of groups go in, and uh, just kind of mission, mission trips go in and kind of minister to the people in this area. In preparation for that trip, we prayed this passage in Ephesians that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, we prayed that we would encounter God. We prayed that we would see his hope uh, in the experience that we, experiences that we encountered and that we would claim his power uh, for ourselves as we entered into the lives of these people. At this place... Uh, the Union Gospel Mission is where part of our group went, and I was a part of that small group. And we met this guy named George. And uh, George was a very, very interesting guy. Uh, he's the kind of guy that you can never really forget. He was, uh, he was the head cook of this Union Gospel Mission, and he was about 35 to 40 years old. He was uh, bald. He had some gold teeth. He, was, he looked like an all-star wrestler kind of guy. I mean, and he talked like this. And, and he had this just way about him that was engaging yet a little bit scary as well. And uh, we began to talk. And the first thing that George said to us as a group was, you know, you're the sixth or seventh group to come in. Uh, I don't believe in God. Don't try to get me to believe in God. I don't want to talk to you about that. I'd rather just talk to you about other stuff. Um, and in his own voice, he said, if, if you do talk to me about that, he said, I will give you the beat down. Kind of, and, and, and we were like, all right, George. He was kind of scary. We didn't know him quite well yet. And uh, just the words beat down and looking at him gave us the impression that we would not talk to him about God uh, as we were entering into this week. Well, we began this relationship with, with George. And uh, I, I talked to several other staff people there. And it turns out that there were many people who were praying for George. Uh, George was a cook at a, a really nice restaurant in the evening in Vancouver, uh, but he spent his days in this homeless shelter, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, he didn't really need to do that. He just felt that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to help people as we got to know him a little bit better. Well, we had fun. We, uh, we did some worship. We handed out food. Uh, we, we just did a ton of stuff within that community. And uh, during the worship services, uh, I'd always invite George to come in for the worship services. And, and George, every time, basically declined uh, in his George way. And so we'd be up front, and we'd be leading some worship for the people that would come in. And uh, I would see George outside of the sanctuary. There's some windows in the back. And George would walk around kind of like making faces at us as we were trying to lead worship. And I'm like, man, this guy is driving me insane, you know. And uh, um, so every day we'd invite George, come back, come into worship. You know, no, I would not come into worship. But he would for sure be in the back making fun of us as, as uh, we did that. We had some great talks with George. We sat and talked about his family. Uh, we talked about 
just a lot of things that were going on in his life, which I thought were pretty, pretty interesting. There was a story uh, about George that, that he told me uh, as we were ending our week. He, he sat me down, he pulled me aside and sat me down. He said, I have a story for you, and you must not talk while I tell it. All right? So I was like, whatever you say, George. And he told me this story about uh, being on this flight. Every year he would go to Greece uh, to meet some of his family, and every year, that, that was his, his tradition, and he went, and one of the trips that he went on, he sat down, and this, this man was coming down the aisle, and George is looking at him, and the guy's got a Bible in his hand, and George is thinking, oh, great, you know, like, I know he's going to sit next to me, and I'm going to be on this plane for, I don't know how many hours it is to Greece, and I'm going to have to interact with this guy, and, you know, he's just dreading it. Well, of course, this guy comes down the aisle, sits his books down right next to George. George rolls his eyes. The guy sits down. And normally you would start a conversation like, you know, hi. George turns to him and said, look, I don't believe in God. Don't talk to me. And basically the entire trip, he's like telling this guy, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Of course, George cannot keep his mouth shut. So they end up talking, uh, again, about life, about family, about different things uh, going on in both their lives. And uh, this conversation wasn't necessarily a spiritual conversation, but the man surely had interaction with George on this flight. They ended the flight after however many hours they were getting off, and uh, the, the guy, as he stood up, said, you know, George, I'm going to pray for you. And, of course, George is upset by that, and you know, I'm going to give you the beat down. I don't know if he told that guy that, but, <laughs> but he said, I will, uh, I will pray for you. And George rolled his eyes and said, yeah, you and everybody else. You and everybody else. But the man said, no, George, I will pray for you. Well, we'll get back to George in a little bit, but I want to read for you from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and they say this, Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given out, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I don't know if, you're, if you've ever prayed the scriptures. It's, it's, it's something that, that I learned as an intern, um, and it was really a difficult thing for me. There was, a, there was a lady in our church, I was at a church in Clear Lake, Washington, for my first two years of ministry, and this lady named Lois Ann was such an incredible woman of prayer. And I remember she would pray the scriptures, and that was basically her prayer language. She would take the scriptures and she would make them her own. And, and she called this amplified prayer, which I thought was really cool. 
And she prayed these, these words that, that God has given us, and she allowed the words of God to penetrate her heart and to become her words. And therefore, the words uh, just seemed to flow from her. And we were all touched by, by the things that she said and, and the way in which she presented herself and how she prayed for, for people. People would go to her and ask her uh, to pray for them because we knew that she would. And, and, and it was... She was such an incredible woman, and, and we, we really looked up to her and, and, this, and, this, and the, this way in which she shared uh, God with others. I have an aunt who's 96 years old, and she used to live on a farm in central Illinois, and we used to go down uh, to the farm during the summers. And after my uncle passed away and she was no longer able to climb the stairs, uh, she had a bed that was downstairs, and we would sleep up to, upstairs. And one night I was, I was just getting ready to go to sleep and, and uh, I heard my aunt talking. And I'm like, well, we're all upstairs. What is she, who is she talking to? So I started down the stairs. And as I got closer to the bottom of the stairs, I began to, to, to listen and realize that, that she was praying. And uh, she began to pray uh, the scripture. She began to pray for family, for friends. And she would do this and she just kept praying. And I just sat there and I listened to her pray. I don't know if that's illegal or not, like prayer kibitzing or I don't, I don't know. But we were, I, I just listened to her. And, and she just kept praying until she fell asleep. And the next night was the same thing. And the next night was the same thing. And, and we'd go down summer after summer, and I remember just sitting on the stairs, listening to her pray. And what an encouragement that was to me. Just hearing her words and realizing that that God was just flowing from her. And uh, it didn't matter. She was just praying for anything that came to her mind. I used to think that that seemed difficult. I used to think that that seemed hard. And to tell you the truth, sometimes it still is hard to, to, to get in that attitude of prayer. Uh, but in studying this passage, I found it to be just a little easier, especially since uh, this, this is already a prayer that Paul is praying. Uh, this prayer is directed toward the, toward the church in Ephesus, uh, and in reading it and stepping into it, I see that this, this prayer could just as easily be a prayer for, for us and our church here today. My desire this morning is for us to first take these amazing words, that we would take them and that we would have them as our own for ourselves and for our church. And second, that we would be perceptive and see the answers to this prayer in our own lives. That we'd realize that God's desire for us is that we would live daily in relationship with Him. Have you ever noticed at the beginning of every sports season, every manager, head coach, player uh, has great expectations for their team? Last night we had our, our uh, NFL fantasy draft, which was, which was really fun over at Rick's house. And uh, my wife calls it pretend football. Uh, and it's anything but pretend. This is real stuff. And uh, I have great expectations for my team, as, as do the other guys that were there. Um, my team is better, and uh, so, so that's a good thing. So my expectations are not totally founded on nothing. But I had great es- expectations for that, and we all have great expectations in certain things. As a parent, I have great expectations for my kids. As a youth pastor, I have great expectations for our students. Paul also had great expectations for the church. That is why he prayed for them. He prayed for them. As a community, we should have great expectations for one another.
As we have read in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul is thankful and encouraged for what is going on within the church. Notice that Paul is not praying for them because things are going bad, uh, which I don't know if you're like me, but that's when my prayer life usually kicks up a notch when things are going bad. Uh, when things are going well, it seems like I tend to, to uh, rely on myself a little bit too much. Uh, but Paul here is praying for them and things are going well and he was, he was rejoicing with them. He's praying blessings upon them because of the things that they were going through. He's thankful. It isn't a laundry list of material needs that he's praying for. It's, it's for spiritual blessings. So I want to look at three specific blessings that Paul prayed. And we're going to look specifically at verses 17 through 20 in the passage we just read. In these passages, there's three things that I want to point out to you. The first thing is to know the person of God. To know the person of God. The second thing is to know the promise of his hope. And the third thing is to know the power of his help. So the first blessing that we're going to look at is knowing the person of God. And looking at verse 17, it says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul writes that the church is the body of Christ and that God the Father planned it, God the Son paid for it, and that the Holy Spirit protects it. He prayed for us to receive wisdom and revelation, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us, focusing us and drawing our thoughts to Him, so that we might have an intimacy with God, so that we might have an intimacy with Him that He desires. In our society, in our church culture, I think sometimes, we have this desire to gather information, more facts from multiple sources, Christian authors, teachers, websites, churches, pastors. We want more interesting tidbits, more training, a new perspective on biblical passages. And all this stuff is good. It's good stuff. But I think sometimes that desire keeps us from having a deep intimacy with God. We want to learn so much about him that we forget to have the intimacy with him. J. Vernon McGee says it this way, We want to learn more about God without ever really getting to know God. We want to learn more about God without ever really getting to know God. Mike Iaconelli in his book, Dangerous Wonder, which is an incredible book, says this, We've become a people who would rather settle for safe, predictable answers instead of wild, unpredictable mystery. Faith has been reduced to a comfortable system of beliefs about God instead of an uncomfortable encounter with God. Let me read that again. We have become a people who would rather settle for safe, predictable answers instead of wild, unpredictable mystery. Faith has been reduced to a comfortable system of beliefs about God instead of an uncomfortable experience and encounter with God. Paul is praying for wisdom and revelation for the church, for the church in Ephesus, but also, I believe, for our church. In other words, to be spiritually perceptive and open to an encounter with God. The truth is, the message of the gospel is, is rather simple. Jesus came, he lived, he died for us, was raised from the dead for us, and invites us to respond to him. I believe the hard part is not understanding the message of the gospel of Christ. The hard part is living it out. That's the difficult part. Sometimes the unpredictable and uncomfortable ways in which life presents itself to us makes it a hard thing. 
See, it's not just what we know, but how we live it out. The person of God is to encounter him. We want to, we want to encounter God in an intimate and personal way and be open to where he leads. So the first blessing is knowing the person of God, having that intimate relationship with him as individuals and as a church community. The second blessing is knowing the promise of his hope. The promise of his hope. Verse 18, in verse 18, Paul says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's such an interesting thing. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. But this is not just an intellectual thing. When I think of the heart, I think of of an emotional thing. Uh, But back then, they saw the heart as as the whole being, the, the intellectual and the emotional the heart and the mind, our whole being. In order that, and the verse continues, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance. There are two parts here, the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance. As believers, we are called to hope. This is not a vague sense of optimism about what might happen to us in the future. Hope here is centered on Christ. J.R. Packer says, For God the Creator who designed us, sustains us, and knows our hearts, never intended that humans should live without hope. Never intended that humans should live without hope, should live without Christ. So that the eyes of our heart and our whole being would be transformed because, because of what, what Christ has done for us. Because of this, we can walk boldly into that wild, unpredictable mystery of God and encounter him in in this beautiful hope that he calls us to. Acts 2, 26 and 27 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because it will not abandon me. Hope will not abandon me. I like what the message, message says here as well. It says, I saw God before me for all time. I love that. I saw God before me for all time. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out. Ecstatic. I've set my camp in the land of his hope. I love the way that that presents itself. To, to, To live in the land of his hope. This is what hope brings. Are you glad this morning from the inside out? Are you living in his hope this morning? And second, the good news continues as we read on and see that that there's inheritance in Christ and and he in us. We are his riches, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done. We are a transformed people by the power of Christ and he is building us up in that. A people, a church, pure and holy through the power of Christ. So Paul is praying that we would be a blessing by knowing the person of God and the transforming nature of who he is. And second, he's praying this blessing that we would know the promise of his hope that is found in Christ and set up camp in that and live in that. And finally, to know the power of God. This is really the cool one. The power of God and his help. Verse 19 says, This incomparably great power for us who believe That power is like the working of his mighty strength. That's the beginning of verse 19. 
How little do we appreciate that power that is available to us? He gives us power, a great power, a divine power. A whole energy, the whole energy of the divine is turned on us, his children, purifying us and transforming us and those around us. It's an active power. It's a power that walks before us, beside us, and behind us. And, and actually the word that they use in the Greek is, describes it as this dynamite power. The word actually means dynamite. I, I just think that's incredible. This power that he gives us is, is like dynamite. It's incredible. It's the same power that, that brought Christ from the grave. It's the same power that brought him to the right hand of God. That's the same power that is available to us. How often do we, do we not realize that? As I read that, I'm thinking, man, I have problems like going out and sharing Christ with people or talking to different people uh, about God, and I have the power of Christ within me. You have the power of Christ within you. It's the same power that raised him from the dead, the same power that brought him to the right hand of God. We have that power that he showers upon us, this blessing that he gives us. We need to be perceptive and know that as we walk this journey of life with God, his power and help are available to us in whatever situation God might place us in. To be bold in our faith and be transformed by this power, the power of the risen God that is in you. Well, this leads us back to George. Now, as you remember, George was just getting off the plane. Uh, He had just said goodbye to this guy, uh, and he just had a great flight, spent some time in Greece. Eight years later, George gets on another flight to Greece. And uh, he walks on the plane, and he's walking down the aisle, and he goes to his seat, and he sees the exact same guy sitting in the seat right next to him. Now, this guy recognized George because, again, George is a very unique person that you really cannot forget. And uh, the guy sits down to him, and they begin this conversation. And the guy, again, asks George, you know, how has it been going? How, you know, I, you know I, I've been praying for you. And George, again, rolls his eyes eight years later. The, the, the man, again, they have this, this talk. And, and I, you know, again, I don't know if what, what actually transpired. But at this point, George stops the conversation and he looks at me and uh, he asks me a question and he he looks at me and he asks, is God trying to tell me something? And uh, I didn't say anything and and he looked at me again and he said, is God trying to tell me something? Because George again had not given me permission to talk yet. Uh, I sat there and finally said, you can talk. And And I said this to George. I said, how could something that you don't believe exists try to tell you anything? And he looked at me, and he kind of laughed, and uh, we had a pretty good conversation uh, that took place. Uh, I can't say that George got on his knees and raised his hands to God, but, but uh, it was just another seed that was planted in George's life. And we continued throughout the week. The next day, we had... Uh, our second-to-last worship service. And George, instead of uh, making faces at us behind the glass, uh, stepped into the back of the worship service quietly and just didn't really do much, but he stood there. And afterwards, the director came over uh, and said, what have you guys been doing to George? Like, he's, we've been praying for him for a long time, and now he's actually uh, in the worship service. 
He, he came in the next day and the next day as we left. And we prayed with George as we left. And uh, he again sort of rolled his eyes. And we exchanged email addresses. And over the years, I've had some emails from George. We, we actually, he called me uh, a year later. And we talked for a little bit. And I asked him if he was going to church. He said, absolutely not. You know? So I, I don't know what God is doing in George's life. But I have great expectations that God is doing some amazing things. This guy could, could be an, a huge evangelist. He's, he, he's just got this personality that you're drawn to. And I believe God is going to use him uh, in amazing ways. There's great expectations that we have in life. We have great expectations for my friend George. Uh, we have great expectations, I believe, for this church. Uh, we have great expectations for this community, that we would be a community that is transformed by the power of God, that is transformed by the power, that dynamite power that is given to each one of us. Just think if we took that, that truth, and lived it out in this community. What would that look like? What would that look like in this place? I want to close by stepping again inside this passage this passage in Ephesians, and inserting us into this prayer because I believe, in essence, that's what Paul is doing. He's talking to the church. So I want to insert us in this prayer. So if, if you would just close your eyes as I read this and, and make these words your words. Make Paul's words your words this morning. Ever since I heard about some of you Covenant Church's faith in the Lord Jesus and Summit View's love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for Summit View. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of Summit View's heart would be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that dynamite power, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for this church, which is his body, the fullness of, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May, be, may this be our prayer as we leave this place this morning. Amen.